Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. So let's get right into the Word, knowing that God will speak into our lives today. Go all the way to Genesis chapter 1. Read a pretty stirring prophecy given in 1927 by a minister named Smith Wigglesworth. He was an Englishman that was mightily used of God, mightily used of God, especially in the signs and wonders ministry. He operated with special faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles operated in his ministry quite profoundly. Several books have been written about him, a couple of books by him. Ever-Increasing Faith, which is one of my favorites. I love reading it. I, I usually read it at least once a year. But we were sent this prophecy that he gave, and basically he was prophesying uh, the last days, the end time. I know there was one minister who's already lived his life out, who was a very young man and met Smith Wigglesworth in the 40s. And in the 40s, uh, 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 Dr. Lester Summerall was, was, was in, his, in his early 20s, uh, Smith Wigglesworth prophesied to him that he would see the beginning of the last great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But now this prophecy was very, uh, how can I say this? It, it, was, it, was, it had some really good points in it, but there were some things that were very alarming. It was all scriptural. You could take and, and add scripture to, to, to all of it. Scripture would have lined up with everything that he prophesied or said. But one of the things he talked about is how people would become disinterested in the true gospel. They would just become, that there would be a true falling away of people from the things of God. And he said the reason, and in this prophecy he said the reason is because the rise of the psychological within the realms of religion. That, that the psychological message would become more profound than the spiritual message. And that's really true because the spiritual message is really very simple. There's a simplicity to the spiritual message. And he talked about, yeah, he literally prophesied the megachurch phenomenon. And he called it Christian science. Now, when we say Christian science, we think about, you know, movie stars and, you know, people. I guess that lady still has her show on TV where she's mad, and so she's chewing up, you know, her church that she used to be a part of and stuff like that. But back then, there was no, there was no uh, 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 you know, Christian science mean, meant anything that was intellectual that, were, that, that tried to be fit into spiritual things. And it was most, for the most part rejected, but it started, it, it, it's the roots of it as it began to rise up through the, through the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and then especially in the 80s and 90s, it became very pro, uh, 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 popular for, for churches to go very psychological and not spiritual. Now, now, one of the reasons is, is the, fault, the fault of it is many of the seminaries of, of, of our major denominations majored on psychology. They taught psychology instead of what I would have caught, uh, what I would have coined uh, pneumology or spiritology. Amen. Uh, many even of our Pentecostal schools didn't even teach on the gifts of the Spirit anymore. Didn't even teach on divine healing anymore. Uh, but, they, you know, they taught you how to reason with people. Amen. Well, we've certainly seen that in these, in these days. And the reason I'm pointing out, because on Wednesday nights we're kind of talking about spiritual things and how to embrace a spiritual move of God and how to live a spiritual life. Because the Bible talks about anything other than spirit is death. 
But a life in the Spirit imparts the life of God. Life in your finances, life in your physical body, life in your mind, life in everything uh, that, that, that involves you. The life of God is present working there, and that's what you want. That's truly the only way to live on this earth in the last days. Now, we must understand something. Go to Genesis chapter 1 real quick. We know the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form. The Spirit of God, ever say the Spirit of God. Now, this is speaking of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God moved. Now, whenever you hear the term Holy Ghost, it's speaking of a person. Because the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is a person. Amen. Now, when you see it in the form, and the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, it, sp it speaks of His activity. Holy Ghost speaks of His person. So the first, right out of the how do you say it? The first jump out of the chute, I guess in rodeo terms. The first revelation we see of the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Ghost in the Word of God, is in an active role. Everybody say an active role. Now, now let me ask you a question. See if you can think about this for a little bit. You think of the major religions of the earth. You think of uh, the Muslim religion, the Buddhist religion, the, the Hindu religion, all the other minor, minor religions of the earth. None of them teach or preach an active God. Have you, have you ever heard them say, well, you know, Buddha really did something in, in Toronto last week. Man, there was a great move of Buddha, you know, in Milwaukee last week. You ever heard that? Or there was, a, there was a great outpouring of Mohammed in, you know, no, you never hear that. Because there's no element of activity. Now the problem with that is that's entered into the, into the Christian world. Many churches today, there's no activity of God. They talk about God. They embrace God. They love God. They sing songs about God. They put up uh, mangers. They put up crosses. But as far as there being any activity of God, there's not, which literally discounts the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. In many, 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 shame to say, many, many churches today, there is no move of the Holy Spirit. No move of the Holy Spirit at all. And I hate, to, I hate to say this, in many charismatic, word of faith, Holy Ghost should be Holy Ghost, Pentecostal churches, there is no move of the Spirit. I know, I know there are some pastors that, that it just seemed like when some of these great men of the previous generation that flowed powerfully in the Spirit, when they passed off the scene, it seems like they just went over and flipped the switch off of their spirituality and became very carnal. But with things like this, well, we, we don't want all of the sensational of, quote, the move of the Spirit. So we just want to teach the Word. We'll just teach the Word and let the Word do it. Well, my God, we love the teaching of the Word of God around here. We teach the Word on Sundays. We teach the Word in Sunday school. We teach the Word on Wednesday. We teach the Word on the Internet. We're always teaching the Word. There's always the Word being taught here. But the Bible says it's the letter that killeth, but it's the Spirit that giveth, giveth life. If you teach the Word and teach the Word and teach the Word, then there is no move of the Spirit. I question what you're teaching. Amen. There is a cycle of the teaching of the Word of God that leads to a move of the Spirit. If you've sat around Island Church for over a couple of years, you'll notice we'll go sometimes four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, two months of teaching the Word, teaching the Word, teaching the Word. And this thing you know, just like you snap your finger, there'll be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. 
The illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave to that was at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The filling of the water pots type of the word. Filling of the water, filling of the water, filling of the water. Water, water, water. How, how far? All the way to the brim. Then what did he do? He took the water and turned it into wine. That is a type of taking the word of God and turning it into the move of the Spirit. Wine, a type of something you come under the influence of. Are you with me? Now, notice this again. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. Now, creation begins, and God said, and God said, and it was good, and it was good, and God said, and God said, and it was good, and God said, and God said, and it was good. I mean, he just going through there. I heard an old preacher say years ago, he said, I'm telling you, God is so marvelous, so miraculous, so mysterious. He took nothing and made something. He did not take nothing and made something. He took his word and made something. Amen? But now we get down to verse 26. Now here's where we need to, excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, verse 26. Here's where we need to look very closely tonight at this. And God said, now this is the same and God said that's created everything in between here in verse 2. Are you with me? And God said, 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 let. Everybody say let. Notice that's capitalized after a comma. Do you see that? Where's our English teachers? You don't capitalize let after a comma. Unless let is a person. Are you with me? You say, what do you mean unless let is a... Let, this is the word. This is Jesus right here. This let is Jesus right here. That's what it is. Let, everybody say let. Let, then it's us. Everybody say us. Now, that means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. That means all three of us are going to have a part in this. All three of us are going to be working to bring this into existence. Now, notice what he says. And let us make, now notice the word, man or mankind. Everybody say man. Let us make man. Now, this is important. In our image and after our likeness, God is saying this. Let us produce a reproduction of ourselves. Amen. Let us produce a reproduction of ourselves. Now notice. Let us produce, let us make man in our likeness and our, our image and let them, notice plural, not singular, plural, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, God created him. Male and female created he them. Everybody say male and female. Now, we see a creation of mankind, male and female, but there's no physical body in verse 26, 27, 28. Now, this is something so important. So important that if you can get this tonight, it will help you. You say, what, what, what could it be? That you are, your identity is spirit. You are a spirit. Everybody say, I'm a spirit. You are a spirit. You are created in the likeness and image of God. John, John chapter 4, God says to the woman at the well, God is a spirit. You are a spirit. Now, the problem is this. Being a spirit, possessing a soul, living in a body, we give so much attention to our body and soul at the sake of our spirit. 
when actually the greatest attention that should be given in an individual's life on this earth should be to its spirit. Your spirit is eternal. Your spirit will live forever. But here's the key. Out of your spirit, you learn to live a victorious life here on earth. And the development of your spirit, if you'll put that above everything else, you will find a place of victory in God, which you've never found before, because that is how God created you, to rule by your spirit. Now, a little little side note, just for a second. Creation took place. We know that God uh, formed man out of the earth. Uh, breathed on man, man became a living soul. Uh, he clothed him with a body, clothed him with flesh. Then, then he, he, he looked for a helpmate for him, couldn't find it, so he put the man into a sleep, took a rib out of his side, and created the womb man, or the womb man, or the man with the womb, the woman. Are you with me? Now, chapter 3, just for a second, just, just, this might interest you. Chapter 3, this is the story of the fall. And, the, and the, we know the serpent usurped spiritual authority, appealed to the, to the sensual realm. Everybody say the sensual realm. And when he appealed to the sensual realm, the woman gave in. They ate of the fruit and they died. Everybody say died. Now they didn't die physically. They died spiritually or they became separated from God. Now notice verse 7. The eyes of them both were open. Well, that doesn't mean they went around blind. This is actually talking about the information gates, the windows of their flesh and soul opened, which must have meant their spiritual eyes closed. Now let me show you. This, this is amazing. This is amazing. The eyes of them both were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Abraham and, Abraham, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto them and said unto them, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Everybody say afraid. Now, here's Adam and the woman. They're in the garden. It's, it's, it's pristine. Everything they could ever need is there. Provided for them. But, but God didn't want robots or, or, or some, you know, just somebody serving him. because He wanted somebody to serve them because of his goodness, because of what he'd done for them. He wanted children. He wanted offspring. wanted a family. God's a family man. Amen? So these two human beings were in direct contact, direct contact with the divine being. Are you with me? Not, not clothed with fig leaves before the fall, before the fall, after the fall, clothed with creation, but before the fall, clothed with the creator. Now, now think about this. Everything God created, how are they clothed? How are the birds clothed? How is a lion clothed? How is, a, uh, how is an elephant clothed? How is, a, you know, how is everything on the earth clothed? From the inside out. A bird grows his feathers, a, a fish grows his scales, a, a lion grows his fur, a bear grows his... See what I'm saying? All of creation was closed from, clothed from the inside out, man, no exception. Which means there was a spiritual clothing on him. He was clothed with the glory or the radiance or the outshining of the divine God himself. He wore the same kind of clothes that his family wore. Are you with me? Then the Bible says, God came down. Now they had sinned, they had fallen, and become what? Separated from God. 
Now, in their separation from God, what happened to man is man became sensual, or he got his information through his senses. Are you with me? So God became, came looking, and he began, began to call for them. Everybody say, call for them. Well, that's not natural for God to have to call for them because he's always in union with them by the Spirit, but there was no union there. It had been broken. So he called for them, and they did what? They heard. They Listen, listen this is why God doesn't talk to you in an audible voice. Now, I know there are those that sometimes will uh, hear the audible voice of God at times, but I'm telling you for the most part, God doesn't talk to you uh, through an audible voice. You say, why? You'd hide from it. Your ears are not designed to hear God. Amen? You're physical. And what happened when they heard God with their ears? They hid and were afraid. They hid and were afraid. That's why, listen, if God could get through to you, through your physical ears, he'd just boom his message all over the earth. But I'm telling you, if he did that, all of humanity would hide themselves in fear from God. Amen. Amen. So, when God redeemed us through Christ, he restored the spiritual connection that was lost in the garden. So that now what God does is communicate to us the way He used to communicate to His creation, spirit to spirit. Spirit to spirit. Amen. Now, go to John. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We know in John chapter 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. Everybody say, born again. And I don't think, you know, I think there needs to be some more teaching on the new birth because a lot of people, well, I'm saved, I'm born again, you know, praise God. But I'm telling you, if you really understood the depths of what it meant to be born again, it's truly what it says it is. You're born again. You're born again. You're born the first time. What a, I mean, what happens when a, when a new baby's born? On I mean, we celebrate it. The, the parents are happy. The grandparents are happy. The aunts and uncles are happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody celebrates. We, we have a birthday. We have sub subsequent birthday celebrations. Why? Celebrating that you had arrived upon the earth. Amen. But God doesn't even know you after your first birth. He only knows you after your new birth. Now, in John, did I tell you chapter 20? I'm way over next. Let me get to John. John chapter 20. Now, look at this. John chapter 20. Let's begin in verse 19. It says, The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be, be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had thus said, he breathed on them and said unto them, now notice this, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, okay, I'll do that, Lord. Verse 23 says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained unto them, or are retained. Now, 
That second scripture, we'll get to that in just a minute. But then, here's Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He appeared to Mary Magdalene and said, don't touch me. Because he had not completed the redemptive process. Then he goes to heaven. He pours his blood upon the mercy seat, obtains salvation, redemption for humanity. Now I can be touched. Now I can be handled. He, he, he supernaturally appears. Now he's in a supernatural flesh and bone body. You say, what do you mean flesh and bone? Obviously, a body that is totally ruled by spirit doesn't have blood. It has spirit running through its veins. You know, this is interesting. You can, go you can probably get on the internet and study this. They say that what is unusual about blood the blood that, that pumps in your veins, your heart pumps, is that there is no way to determine a chemical makeup of light. But if they were to theorize what light was made up of, the only substance on earth they would theorize that light was made of is found in blood. Isn't that interesting? You say, what do you mean? Well, the light of the world, the life of the world, what flowed in the veins of Jesus was the light and the life of God. What flowed in Adam was the life and the light of God. Clothed with that, clothed from the inside out. Now Jesus appeared to him and he begins to show him his hands. He begins to give evidence of the resurrection, evidence of who he is. But then he makes this, 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 this statement, and this is so controversial especially in the seminaries of our nation and many of the de denominations, he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, the, many of the denominations teach this as a command. He said he was talking about Acts chapter 2. Listen, when Jesus said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Amen. But now notice what, what goes before the term, receive ye the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them. We only see this one other place in Scripture. And that one was God breathed into the nostrils of the dirt He had picked up out of the ground and breathed His Spirit that He had created in His likeness and image just like you would blow up a balloon into the physical body of mankind. And man was born onto the earth. And in the new birth, God breathed on them, but it bypassed the flesh and the soul and went where? Right where it was needed. In the part of man that was separated from God, which was man's spirit. And when he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, they were recreated and became new creatures in Christ and were born again. Amen. Now, let me just, just, just to help you. The, 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 these, uh, these other, you see these other scriptures and people have real, and, and so ever, who, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, the new birth is not a sin forgiveness issue. So a lot of people, well, I, I need my sins forgiven. Well, you can have your sins forgiven all day long, die and go to hell. The new birth the issue of the new birth is the acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As an acceptance of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, your sins are, what it says right here, 
remitted. Not atoned for or covered up, but eradicated and done away with. Not only that, the iniquitous nature that came in through mankind's, mankind's fall is eradicated and righteousness is imparted to you. Woo, glory to God. I'm preaching myself happy. Which gives us the right. Now listen, this, people don't like this. You say, why? Because we've had some of our top leaders on our talk shows and news interview shows say things like, when somebody looks at them and says, do you mean if I'm going to go to heaven, I have to be born again? And our leaders would say things like, well, we don't know. We don't judge people. We're not God's judge. I mean, we don't judge people. God does. That's wrong. This literally means you can walk up to somebody and say, would you love to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Would you love to be born again? Would you love to accept Him, the work that He has done for you because of the love of the Father for you? You can be born again. You can get out of the human family. You can get into God's family. Would you like to do that? Would you take my hand right now? Yes, I would. Would you please pray with me? Pray this prayer. Would you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior? I do. I call Him my Lord and I call Him my Savior. Your sins are remitted. We have the right to say that. Or they say, no, I don't want nothing to do with that God stuff. You can say, your sins are retained. That means there is a dividing line. Amen? That means there is. They say, well, you know, I'm not their judge. Well, I'm not their judge when it comes to when they die. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A lot of people hold out to the very end, have a deathbed experience. They're going to end up in heaven waving a palm leaf. Well, who wants to do that? Amen? I want a reward. I want to work in the kingdom. I want to live by the Spirit down here on earth. I want to see what it's like to be an overcomer. Down here, when, when, when 6,000 years of reverse evolution has taken place, and man has gone from the presence of God to the animal he is today. I want to show the whole world this stuff works. Amen? So here is the first entrance. How's my time? Oh, i got four minutes. Entrance of the Spirit of God 2,000 years ago when this happened in Jerusalem. For the first time in 4,000 years, man became connected to God. His connection was restored, but he was left with a decaying body and a mind that's crazy. No, really. Amen. Then we take it a step further. Acts chapter 2. We'll close with this. Acts chapter 2. So here you are. You're born again. You're a new creature in Christ. You're now active in the spirit realm. Now, let me just say this. You're now alive. Now, there's a difference between existing and being alive. Everyone breathing exists. Can I get a better amen? Whether they're breathing, I watched a guy, a documentary on this guy named Laird Hamilton. Anybody ever heard of Laird Hamilton? He's a big wave surfer from over in Hawaii, and I watched a documentary on him yesterday, and he talked about his whole life has been about breathing. Learning how to breathe. He, he rides these huge waves over in Hawaii and all this kind. But he said his whole life has been about Learning how to breathe. And he does everything from 
hold, holds on to these boulders and runs underwater. He gets in these ice baths that are like 41 degrees, and it all has to do with learning how to breathe. Well, not everybody breathing is alive. Now, see, that's a, the people here that say, that guy's crazy. I mean, if you're breathing, you're alive. No, you're not. You exist, but you're not alive. You say, what does that mean? There's a part of you that is dead. Because when it comes, and we said this over and over, when it comes to the human experience, death does not mean the cessation of life. Death means separation. So if you are not united to God, you are separated from God. You are not alive, you exist. Therefore, you must be born again. For to be born of water gives you existence. To be born of the Spirit gives you life. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He didn't say, I'm going to show you the way, I'm going to tell you the truth, I'm going to give you the life. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So when you get Jesus, you get connected to God and you get the life of God. You get the zoe of God. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. But say the life of God. Say the life of God. Say the life of God is in me. Say the life of God is in me. Now, we go back. All the way to the beginning, though. We were not created to be ruled by our senses. But for 6,000 years, man has been ruled by his senses. So here you go. You get born again. Now you are united to God, but you've been ruled by your senses your whole life. So what are you looking for? What are you looking as affirmation or confirmation of your spirituality? The same thing these disciples were looking for. Let me see your hands. Let me feel your side. We look for what? Feelings as evidence of God being present. Which we just don't get. Now there are times when the presence of God comes. There's time we can talk about the anointing. But God did build into His redemptive process something that burst, that is God bursting into the spirit realm. And that's what's in Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came what? There came what? The, say it again. There came what? There came a sound. Everybody say a sound. There didn't come a mighty wind. There came a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Now, what is a sound? Oh, man. A sound is something that is picked up by the senses. So God has mercy on mankind who needs what? Sensual evidence of His existence. So there comes the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And what's the first thing it does? It fills the house. We've had services here where the presence of God just fills the house. You ever been in one? You ever been in one? I've been in services, man, I'm telling you, where the presence of God was so thick, it's almost felt like you could take a knife and cut a chunk out like a piece of cake and take it home in your pocket. Amen? 
They say during the Azusa Street Revival, the presence of God would come in so strong that it would come in like a cloud into the building and the kids would come in and bring jars, mason jars, and try to get it in the jars and take it home with them. Amen? I've seen it three times in my life. Saw it when I was a child, saw it in Ireland back in the 90s, and saw it back in October in the Philippines when the glory of God come in just like a cloud and just linger over the crowd. And what was cool about the Philippines is they were able to document it and get it on film. I got it on my phone back there. The glory of God just coming in. So all of a sudden, God's saying, I'm having mercy on you. I'm having, I, 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 I pity my creation. They've got to have something. They've had all these years. So I'm going to send God. I'm going to go myself in the person of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to fill that. And then it says what? Then there appeared. What is an appearance? Something that the eyes can pick up. Everybody say see. Now they're hearing and they're seeing. And then it says this, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh boy. And begin to what? Now what does speech do? Speech is another indication in the natural realm. You can see someone speak. You can hear someone speak. You can understand someone speak. But for the most part, except for moves of God and moves of the Spirit, the church has rejected the baptism of the Holy Ghost, relegating it to an event that took place that was for the disciples only. Thank God it wasn't. Peter himself got up and preached. This is that which spoken by the prophets of Joel. And it's for what? It's for you, for your children, your children's children, and all that for afar off, as many as the Lord thy God. So it's for everybody. The Bible says of, of, of the crowd that observed them spilling out into the street. It says they heard them speak in their own language the wonderful works of God. And some of them said this, uh, why are these people drunk? It's but the ninth hour of the day. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning, or third hour of the day, excuse me, like 9 o'clock in the morning. They started their days at 6 o'clock. Amen. And that's when Peter got up and began to preach, this is that which was spoken by the prophets, Joel. Now, I'm going to close with this. This was God bursting into the sense realm with what? The most important thing man possesses, language. If you remove our language, we're like the monkeys in the tree. We're like the seagulls that fly. We're like everything else. But it's our language that helps us to assimilate, transmit thought, and it is proof positive of our spiritual existence because only spirit beings have a language. So what God did through the new birth was to do what? Was to unite us back to Him so we are no longer spiritually dead. We're not just existed, we're existing. We're alive unto God. Amen. Then He takes and disconnects our speech faculties from our intellect and hooks it to that part of us that is in union with Him. So I don't like speaking in tongues. I don't understand it. You don't want to understand it. You say, what do you mean? You do not want to understand it. For if you understood it, it wouldn't be spirit, it'd be intellect. Amen. You know, that was cool. We, uh, we saw a deal the other day where they actually, what 
did I see that? Oh, yeah. I, I, I saw it. Um, uh, it was a deal on the internet somebody sent me. A medical study of speaking in tongues. So they put these people, you know, the, what is the thing called where they, they put you in that big uh, round thing? So they put them in there, and they're looking at these people's brains, and they, they say, okay. And they, they, they use this guy that was a pastor, and he looked pretty cool. He, you know, pastored a church, kind of looked like Island Church, a couple hundred people, three or four hundred people went there. And, you know, he showed him praying in tongues in his service, showed the congregation praying in tongues. They look, you know, uh, I mean, they weren't handling snakes and drinking strychnine. Looked like normal people, amen. And so they, they gave him a, a, a script to read. And so he read these words, and you could see on that, MRI, MRI, you can see the activity in his brain. There is a place in your brain in which activity can be registered when you speak. Amen? Then they gave him a, a sheet with a bunch of garbled babble in it. And so he read it, and it was kind of like a blah, 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 you know, just kind of, and you could still see that little part in his brain was active when he was babbling. But this was what's amazing. They said, now we want you to pray in tongues. So it was amazing. That guy was laying there, and he just kind of put his hands up like this, and he started going, Father, I just worship you. I love you. I thank you to these people for their curiosity. Now just show them how powerful. And he just began to go, oh, and that activity of the brain was gone. There was no activity whatsoever in his brain. Well, I thought that was pretty cool. Because what God does is disconnect your speech faculties from your mind, from your emotions, from your will, from your prejudice, from your hate, from your excitement, from your joy, from whatever it may be, and hooks it to your human spirit where God is. And so you speak by the Holy Ghost. And that is what? Evidence again on the earth of God. Every time you pray in tongues, every time you speak in tongues, every time you see it, every time you hear it. Now, my last point, and we'll quit. I'm eight minutes over. We talk about our spirituality being part and parcel of our life. We've got all this stuff as our life. You know, we've got job, we've got family, we've got children, we've got this, we've got that, we've got all this kind of stuff. And so we just kind of file church in there somewhere, prayer in there somewhere, the Word in there somewhere. We kind of file it in there. And it's not central. It's not the main focus. It's not the reality. It's just part of our reality. And, and you know, people, they live like that for a long time. But that's not the way it's designed. The way it's designed is for it to be the central issue of your entire life. Amen. Nothing else is more important. Nothing else is more relevant. Because we, listen, we think things are more relevant. We think things are more, you know, well, Pastor, that's all well and good, but you just can't go around praying in tongues all day long. You just can't go, you've got to, you know, you got to cross the street. You gotta, no, 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 you got to understand something. To live by the Spirit is to live by the life of God, and when we segmentize it and segregate it and make it just a part of our life, then that's all it is, is a part and when it's a part, it never works in its fullness. Amen. It never works in its fullness. That means it is very important for you to read your Bible. Yes. 
That means it is very important for you to pray. That means it is very important for you to pray in the Holy Ghost. Now, I heard this years ago, and, and when they said it, I, I, of course, you know, I was a young preacher and already doing it, but they, 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 the, the teacher that was the person that teaches on prayer quite a lot, gone on to be with the Lord, said, you need to pray in tongues at least one hour a day. Every Christian needs to pray in tongues at least one hour a day. If you will pray in the Spirit at least one hour a day, your life will perpetually change. You'll perpetually come into revelation. You'll perpetually see things others don't see. You'll perpetually know what's coming. You'll perpetually have insight into all kinds of things that God is doing. But you will begin to learn to live by the Spirit instead of Spirit being just a part of your life. It will be the central core of your life, and you will begin to have life. So when sickness tries to attack your body out of the central core of your being, you resist it in Jesus' name. When poverty and lack tries to get a hold of your finances, you resist it in Jesus' name. When depression tries to get on your mind, you have a central core of victory that from that standpoint, you resist it in Jesus' name. Because everything that is done by faith is done by the Spirit. Amen? And when you recognize that and realize that, then you realize the importance of what? Growing and developing in your spirit. And as you grow and develop in your spirit, then spiritual things become more relevant and you become more of a participant than a spectator of that which God is doing. Not only in your own personal life. I want to be a part of what God's doing. I don't want somebody just praying for me and God doing something. I want to pray myself and see God do something. Amen? We all pray for me. Well, no, I'll pray for myself. I've been, listen, I've had hands laid on me for healing and be healed, but I sure like it a lot better when I stand in faith and believe God. You say, why? Because it, it, it clothes you from the inside out. You're wearing the correct clothing. Amen? You love the Lord? Praise God. Well, lift your hands. Father, we worship you tonight. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. We thank you for it. Everybody say this. Heavenly Father, thank you 2,000 years ago. Jesus took stripes upon his back so that I am healed. Not going to be, am healed. Based on the deposit of that healing power in my human spirit, by faith through confession, I release it tonight. Declaring I'm resistant to the flu to colds, to sickness, to, to seasonal allergies, to that which the adversary would attack men and women with at this time of the year. I declare, flu, you shall not have me. Cold, you shall not come upon me. And if I sense one symptom, I will resist it by faith with the authority God has given me in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. For me, for me, for me, there is no flu season. There is only healing season in Jesus' name. Well, jump on your feet and thank God you're healed. Thank you, Father. Lord, we worship you. You are Jehovah Rapha, our healer. We glorify your name, Lord God. We exalt you, Heavenly Father, for healing in our bodies. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, I just, yeah, I heard that. Somebody, you may have had this thought. Well, you better be careful what you're saying. 
people get like that. Say, well, you better be careful talking about the flu like that. What do you want to do? Just loosen it up? No. I mean, everybody says they're going to get it. They get it. Amen. If you don't believe me, just go out here saying you're going to get it. See how fast you get it. Well, why don't we just say we're not going to get it? The Bible says resist. Everybody say resist. Well, I think the flu's of the devil. You ever notice it doesn't come, it always comes from some heathen place. The Hong Kong, the if you're from Hong Kong, you might not agree with that. But I've never heard of the heavenly flu. Amen. The Jerusalem flu. Amen. The Tulsa flu. Anyway, be healed in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for tonight. We declare our protection and safety. Lord, during this holiday season, as many travel, we declare no, no evil befalls us, no plague comes to our dwelling place. As people are busy during the weekend, we know the inclement weather will be here. We declare your protection is upon us, whether we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, or the railways. We thank you, Lord, that provision is upon us. The righteous labor of our hands, the travel during the holidays, whatever we do, wherever we go, we declare we're not subject to evil men with wicked plans or Satan himself. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We walk on serpents and scorpions over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. We thank you, Lord God. There is also a wonderful door of utterance. During this time of the year when we're around our families, those that not, might not know you, Lord, we thank you that gently, by your Spirit, and because of your great love for people, there is a door of utterance to our families. And even this year, many will experience loved ones being born again. We pray, ye therefore laborers, be sent forth, making ourselves available to be laborers wherever we go. Father, we walk in love and faith towards you. We love you so much. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for Island Church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Heavenly Father, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.